HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's show is brought to you by Bob's Red Mill, sharing nothing but the best in whole grain nutrition and committed to their mission of good food for all. Learn more at bobsredmill.com slash podcast. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Hello, this is Dana Cowan, and you're listening to Speaking Broadly on Heritage Radio Network. Each week, I interview outstanding people in the food industry who share their personal and professional challenges and successes. Today, I'm podcasting just across the river from Heritage's usual studio at Roberta's, and I am at the Nomad Hotel. Super, super swanky. First time I've been inside the rooms here. I'm going to be talking to a pair of women who have a hilarious radio show in Charleston, South Carolina. Their view of the restaurant world from behind a bar is something you absolutely will not want to miss. And I am also going to talk to a bar manager who can hack your mini bar and tell you about the best cocktails at the Nomad Hotel in New York City. But first, I'm going to talk about food. I was at the William Vale Hotel. I guess I'm doing a lot of hotel going in Williamsburg, Brooklyn this weekend, and I went to Mr. Dips. Now, Mr. Dips is in an airstream on the top of sort of a faux mountain in the middle of Brooklyn, and from that airstream, you can get a single dip, a double dip, and you might say, like, what are dips? They're burgers that come wrapped in wax paper, and they're so gooey and delicious that the cheese just adheres to that wax paper and you pull it out and it seems just like childhood with a potato bun and a griddle burger and it's dripping all over you and I gotta say it's great so while the airstream is still up and running in this gorgeous gorgeous weather go check it out and now I'd like to welcome Pietro 
got to say your last name for me. Colina. Colina. That's Italian for, like, it's a hill. tree or a hill. Yeah, it's well, hill. well, my name is Pietro Colina, but if you translate it to English, it's Peter Hill. It's like the most generic <laughs> name in the world. I'm just very happy Peter. I was born in, uh, in Italy for that. <laughs> um, but you're a highly unusual individual in that you are the bar manager of a, one of the great hotels in the world, the Nomad. <laughs> Thank you. Also joining me are Lindsay Collins and Nikki Fairman. You guys have a ton of experience in the hospitality industry. Um, Lindsay, you were at Per Se and Noma and the French Laundry. And Nikki, you have been around the world and back. Belgium, New York, uh, Aquavit with Marcus Samuelson. So I am really excited to have the three of you collectively on the pod. Thank you. We're so excited. Hey, thanks, girl. Oh, so excited to be here. <laughs> so pumped. <laughs> so we're in a hotel room and I usually resist the mini bar but having a bar manager here I'm like if I was going to make a quality cocktail what would you make mm. Yeah, I mean, you know, in our mini bar you have so many different options, you know, kind of a classic mini bar you have things like, you know, your vodkas, you always have gins, you always have kind of sodas and maybe some like sparkling waters of some sort. Um I always try to resist the mini bar when I'm in a hotel. It's like I learned from traveling around with my parents. The second I would even go close to it, my father would just stare at me, lock <laughs> like it, lock right? it, like you know, <laughs> he put the suitcase in front of it just just in case, just to block me off from it. I Honey. like that a stare shut you down. Oh, hundred percent. Right. Come from Italian family, you know. Yes. <laughs> so, but um, I guess if I do need to go into the mini bar and grab something, I always make sure I. I go outside and get some supplies first, you know. If you just rely on the mini bar yourself, you know, you make one drink and a couple other things and all of a sudden you get enthusiastic and you go, like, you leave your hotel and you're like a $90 bill is attached to it. Um, but so right. Yeah, it's 100%. So I go to like to the bodega, corner store, uh, things I love to just always have on hand when I'm in a hotel. First of all, is, is coconut water. I love mm, coconut water. That's thoughtful. Uh, is that, it's, yeah, right? Uh, it's nice to hydrate. Well, it's hydrating. It's hydrating and you can mix it with alcohol, which is beautiful. <laughs> so two birds with one stone, kind of, you know? Uh, what I love to do is when I mix coconut water with just like whiskey or some scotch or something, it has like such great body and it's very lush. And all you need to do is just do like equal parts with some ice and you have like a cocktail already right there. And it's okay. absolutely I'm delicious. so ready for that. That sounds Girls. amazing. I don't yeah. think I've ever put whiskey with coconut water at all. And it feels like a feels like a high low. You know, yeah. something dehydrating, something very hydrating. Mm. I'm into that. Exactly. Yeah, no, it's really, really fun. If you are looking for something a little bit more uh, like refreshing, using like citrus tones and stuff, I like to pick up kombucha. Mm-hmm. Kombucha is like very bright, has great acidity to it. You mix that with a little bit of gin and you throw some like grapefruit in there. You're good. Actually, you could be faking an orange wine, in my opinion. Like, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Like, is this kombucha or is it wine? <laughs> but if you add a little grapefruit and. Because uh, I can't tell. I can't tell. Yeah, and it, it's, it's absolutely That's, delicious. That, sounds, that yeah. honestly sounds like a great, great drink. And let me just say, New York City is filled with kombucha. Uh huh. Yeah, I know. I got in love with kombucha as well because I loved uh, Thai like uh, drinking vinegars and yes. stuff. Mm. Uh, and so when you start drink, mixing things like with a very like, botanical heavy, something like gin or aquavit with those type of vinegars, it just pops and it's really refreshing. Um, and if you're looking for something a little bit more rich towards the end of the night, a little sweeter, maybe you missed out on dessert. Uh, right around the corner is Stumptown, and uh-huh. they sell cold brew coffee mixed with hot with chocolate milk. Mm. Oh, mm. so good! And you, mm. right? <laughs> and you just mix that with dark rum. 
You're done. You're done. You're set. Wow. <laughs> That's I can we just put some ice cream in there? Yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> I think there must, there must be a name for that. So there's where room It's like a South American in. affogato, maybe. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> a shockagato. <laughs> I would say that. I, I feel good about that. <laughs> That is, that's awesome. Okay, so I've just given you this crazy request. I'm curious, um, what is the craziest request you've gotten at the bar here? Oh, wow. Uh, it's it's very so much. <laughs> He's like, so, where do I start? Where do I start? <laughs> uh, I think we have this guest who comes in uh, once a month, and I think he's from Germany. And he basically always orders equal parts, and... Uh, Fernet, creme de menthe, and cream. Equal parts. That has sounded good to me, though. You know what? It's actually, I was so, like, shocked and surprised, and then I kind of tasted it, and it's kind of good. Yeah, it's actually pretty... What would you compare it to? Because that sounds odd. So, what I did was... Well, I can imagine freezing it, and then shaving it, and then making an ice cream cone. Well, basically, when I I tasted it, it reminded me of a grasshopper. So, we have this thing in, uh, over the Nomad that every Sunday we do this kind of Italian supper called Mama Gadaris. So, we have all these fun, like, old, you know, kind of classic 70s drinks. You know, like, we have one, like, a Blue Hawaiian. Uh, You know, we have, The Golden Cadillac. Exactly. We have, like, Amaretto Sour. And one of them is a grasshopper. So, this gentleman kind of came in with weird requests, but he's completely inspired me to rechange and tweak my grasshopper spec to add Fernet in it. And it's delicious. Okay, I love that. So, uh, one last question for you. Now, I, um, some bartenders are very chatty, oh, yeah. <laughs> and, some, <laughs> and some bartenders are good with a joke. Are you a bartender who has a joke? You're a bar manager, I understand. Yes. But were you ever a bartender who had a joke? Oh, yeah, 100%. I mean, the thing is... Oh, my God, tell me a joke. Oh, no, yeah, no, 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 no. That's not how it works, no, no. Dana? I guess, I guess I wasn't the person with, like, the rehearsed, prepared jokes. Okay. Uh, I'm more an observer. So I'm, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty quick, but yeah. you need to be as a bartender because if you uh, don't have anything to say or people just walk all over you, and especially really? in New York City. Oh, yeah, mm-hmm. New York City at the Nomad, you know, we have such amazing different types of clientele from a lot of industry people to people who are traveling, but also to, like, you know, like, Fortune 500 CEOs who, like, want to drink and get rowdy in yeah. front of you. And you kind of need to start controlling the crowd. Right. So what I my, my best advice for any bartender is always stay professional and always start conversation very professional because once you start a conversation very professional – you can have the power to either go and have be more authoritative hmm. or start being more casual, which makes people think they're having a rapport, which gets people back and makes people have more, you know, get regulars. I bet you guys have a lot to say about that. <laughs> <laughs> I just I think, have never heard anybody put it so concisely and so so beautifully. Where that really is, that, that's the psychology behind it. Is you can you have to start there because if you start really casual, there's no really there's, there's nowhere, nowhere to go. go. Nowhere yeah, to go. you can't come back from that and then be super formal with them because it seems strange and out of out of place. But you also can't get. I mean, what's more casual than casual? Then you're just cursing at them, and so that's <laughs> like that's, you can't do that. <laughs> that was well said. Yeah. No, I agree because I think that that is something that. You building that rapport, and as well as it, you, you know, quick with a joke and to light up your smoke comes from uh, the power of of quick thinking and wit. And you can't really 
it's not nominal because it's not for everyone. It's for each individual person. You mm-hmm. know, our our goal is to address your unspoken needs, but it's also to address your very, you know, your unspoken where you are in your life. Yeah. You know, it's catered well, to individual. The, the thing which I always thought was necessary as a joke is it's the best exit strategy. If Thank you, you say yes. a joke and just start Agreed. laugh, I laugh at all my own jokes. Of course. <laughs> I need yes. to. You laugh at all your own jokes and you walk away. Yes. And the it's only the best way. exit strategy in a restaurant or in a bar situation. Okay. It's clutch. I, I love that. That's amazing. <laughs> and that's going to conclude your portion. So that was your exit strategy. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much. <laughs> Exit laughing. It's <laughs> <laughs> perfect. Thank you, Pietro. Yeah, and, um, so I know that one of the ways that you guys like to um, talk to customers is you give them restaurant recommendations. Yeah, that's a huge part of it. And, and that is something that we, you have to do it in, in a way, especially in a bar setting, I feel like is such um, a tricky one because so many people can hear you and they're so close together that you have to find a way to individualize the experience and the recommendations so you don't sound like you're getting paid to say, you should go check this out. But without you know making them feel like they're just getting the standard spiel is really tricky behind a bar. But, but kind of catering it to them, whereas like you're the ultimate eavesdropper. Like you get to know them through their time sitting there, and then you can kind of see what place might might make sense for them instead of just saying like this is a place that I love, but would my mom like to go there? Maybe not, or would my you know little niece like to go there? Probably not. So you have to cater it to the individual. So I see. So you're that whole bartender thing of reading your customer and really understanding who they are and where, so that you don't get a one size fits all restaurant recommendation. Mm-hmm. But I think I remember you saying something about how you know they leave with a little napkin yeah. and um, and then they come back, you know, yeah. and they're like, I went to that place. It was really awesome. That's my move is the love note. Nikki does write a beautiful love note. And it's, I mean, I've seen places too where they'll like have a, a recommended list and they'll just kind of give it to you, oh. which is also nice because it's like, there it is. Like that's that's the, the spots that you can hit. But for instance, we're staying with the, the dear Katie Bell, who I know has been on your show. Yes. And when we uh-huh. arrived at her place last night, she was already in bed and there was a glass of water or a little pitcher of water, a glass of wine. And then it just said like coffee, noodles, pizza like in her neighborhood so that we could be totally self-sufficient and she's thinking about the things that we might want to have so I I appreciate the handwritten note above anything else I think is is so so personal okay Pietro you're still here so what do you think (laughs) yeah Yeah, I mean a handwritten (laughs) note goes a long way um so it's really funny so in there's so many different ways to create kind of that type of relationship with the guests. And, you know, when you have a lot of the VIPs or industry people coming through, uh, you know, giving away like, you know, an SFN, a glass of wine or something like that. That's so, it's an it's like easy. Wait, what did you call it? What did you call it? An SFN? Oh, sorry. SFN means something for nothing. <gasps> something Ooh. for nothing. Oh, see, we call it extra e- love. Oh, extra love? <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. called extra love. Yeah. Every restaurant has its own little code name. true. God, I, I guess I've been working for this company for so long. You I said it like there. it was yeah. common knowledge. Yeah. It's like if I could say it's, it's like, like an what? ERB if yeah, you're trying to get into school. When I give someone a butter up. <laughs> I actually like that much better than that's so That's where I'm from. It's a little butter up. Just, Y'all just get a butter up. Hey, just get, can we have a butter up for table twelve? <laughs> so, but yeah, it's it's, what a, it's is, a, okay, something wait. for nothing. So what what is the range of the butter ups? Oh, it varies. Ooh, yeah, I would say it comes from like a gentle whisper to maybe a full cuddle puddle. <laughs> okay, <laughs> uh, so, so maybe I, something. I need specifics. <laughs> 
like a, a splash of sparkling wine when you arrive, if it's somebody you're expecting or somebody that you're like, oh my gosh, just to kind of welcome them. Because you don't want to like totally control their experience, right? Wouldn't you say? Yeah. Like you, you kind of want to give them something to get their night started without being like, here, drink this Manhattan. Maybe they don't like Manhattans. Yeah. So sparkling wine is usually, I think, the industry like go to, like, we love you. We're happy you're here. We're not going to, you know steamroll you with options but um and then if they're eating that's kind of up to like the the chef and who's who's taking care of them to see what makes sense for their meal if there's anything that needs to be added what they're doing later like it can range to a full comp depending on who it is right <laughs> um that's rare i think but. yeah no that's so true yeah. like, so at, at the nomad we actually uh designed these cards called cocktail cards because mm. we realized that a lot of people you have like you know champagne greed or everything, it feels great. But we wanted to kind of personalize it a little bit more. So we have a deck of thirty different cards with uh, six different spirit cards, and then all different adjectives that are all like pictures. So one of them is like a picture of like the Godfather. One's a picture of like an absent fairy. One's a picture, Whoa. and you choose these cards, and then we create a cocktail based on. Wow, that's that real just cool. My mind. <laughs> <laughs> that is really cool. I think you guys are going to take that back to Charleston with you. We, um, we stole. <laughs> oh, that's amazing because it's it's more about a feeling because that is something that's so hard for people to articulate is what am I in the mood for? But a, a picture that embodies like a vibe. Yeah, exactly. Is, so it's is so much cocktail. easier. Yeah, yeah. Dana, that was brilliant. Dana, that was witchy. Yeah. I liked it. <laughs> I love the compliments on my own show. That's awesome. <laughs> Dana, you're doing great on speaking broadly. You're killing this. <laughs> love you. <laughs> That's amazing. What? Who thought of that? So, um, as you're as you're watching people, uh, you know, in the restaurant, because you guys are at Fig now, right? Yes. Um, so, Fig, for those who don't know, is in Charleston. It's a restaurant from Mike Latta, who is an extraordinary chef. Um, it's one of the best restaurants in Charleston. Uh, so. What are you seeing that people are ordering more of or less of? Like, what's the vibe like right now? Cocktail wise or wine? It can do anything in the restaurant at all. Mm. I've seen a it could lot be on pie. Yeah, that's yeah, true. Yeah, I'm into that. <laughs> well, because Fig's been there so long, I think a lot of it is is classic things that are more iconic to the restaurant, like dishes that we do, like the pate or the gnocchi bolognese that they've read a lot about. But I think in terms of like trends or things that are that are ordered more commonly or inquired about, more recently it's been um, either orange wine, natural wine. Um, or just really, really fun cocktails. People always want to know what your restaurant is well, like. I was going to say cocktails, especially associated with the South. We are a bourbon whiskey hub. So that's what everyone says. Because immediately they want to be like, I want a mint julep. And I was like, I believe you. And I'm going to make you the most thoughtful and snuggled mint julep in the history of time. However, do you enjoy bourbon? Like, are you more of citrus driven? Do you love something rich and stirred? What's your favorite, you know, like... Nicolas Cage film and these are things that I can take <laughs> to really understand who you are as a human um, but bourbon bourbon Face that's off. a hot yeah, just <laughs> you know it I got you babe I got a cocktail what for you <laughs> there's one literally called face on no I got you okay I think there was an inside joke that just happened no I just think Nicolas Cage money, movies are so funny yeah. um, oh is face off a Nicolas Cage movie yeah, yeah. 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 I'm really sorry <laughs> you should watch it this week and you're have a fantastic weekend. <laughs> but that's the thing is that people come in with an idea of a trend that they want, and then what we have to do is we're we're obligated to not only give them give them what they want, but to um, elevate what they've asked for if they're open to it, right? Yeah, and I, th- I mean I've seen a lot of 
emphasis on rum there. It's the spirit of the sea, as they say. So there's being a coastal town. There's a lot been more of that where people are like, maybe we don't have to just drink bourbon because we're in the South. Like we could also consider other spirits that are maybe a little more less, less utilized and maybe done in a style that's not tiki, but tiki is really hot right now. People are asking the South gets everything last. Let's just be honest about that. Uh Like every, (laughs) every turn that ever happened, like dies in the South, I think. (laughs) So if we're like way behind and and just being me, somebody who like reads about and Nikki too, like things that are trending in other places, we're like, Oh my God, we're so sick of that already by the time our guests even start really asking for it. So what is it that you, what is it that you wish were in the South right now? Um, I wish people were more aware of Amaro in the South. Okay. And it's something that's that's happening for yeah. sure. And and mm-hmm. Fig even has its own Amaro. Like our bartenders love it. So it's something that they dedicate a whole page of cocktails just to Amaro-based cocktails. Yeah. I was just in uh, Raleigh-Durham and I, there was a, a bar with um, a whole page of Amaro's. You probably have a deep, deep, deep list yeah. here. Oh, <laughs> yeah. In fact, okay, he was commenting on that. Oh, no, I was, I was sitting at the bar earlier just staring at it being like, how'd they get that? Because there's Why a lot of I stuff that, yeah, that you guys can get that, that she can't get or that we can't get behind the bar. So, okay, so let's just assume that Nomad is ground zero for trends. Okay. Um, let's say that. I believe that. <laughs> I got tarot cards. <laughs> I'm into it. So um, what would you say that the South is going to get in, you know, Three five years? years. <laughs> Three years. Six to ten. Yeah. So, yeah, in the, the turn of the century, the South is going to start to see. Uh, <laughs> no, no, no. So basically the things that are popular right now uh, in New York especially is just very uh, low ABV in, like, yes. uh, vermouth-based cocktails. Mm-hmm. I'm just in love with different types of vermouth, different types of aromatic wines. I'm a huge sucker for, like, cocchi americano, a huge sucker for uh, caperitif. Sherry, uh, which is sherry. I mean, mm. I I saw your sherry painkiller. I was so I was like, I oh, want that. It's so delicious. <laughs> yeah. I, so we actually started using sherry in cocktails about like probably eight years ago. Oh my lord. Yeah, over at Eleven Madison Park, uh, and you know, people just thought about sherry as like just like sweet, like Pedro Mendes sherry or, like or, or no cream sherry. You remember Harvey Bristol? Cream sherry, hundred percent. My grandfather loved it. Yeah. <laughs> But now, I mean, the cherry, like, just using one example, is just it's so expansive. Like, you have, like, finos, manzanillas, amontillados, palacortados, and so on and so forth. And now sherry is actually getting a lot more. And Nikki's dancing. Yeah. <laughs> That's my yeah. sherry dance. It's crazy, yeah. And, and the beauty about sherry and low uh, ABV cocktails is that you can have more than two. And yes. you can enjoy your time at this bar, enjoy your time having conversation without getting sloppy, still feeling completely leveled, and going home respectfully. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. With taking your dignity with you is yeah, really nice. That's a nice thing. You can have your dignity yeah. outside of the bar. Because isn't it nice to leave a restaurant and feel good? Yeah, right? exactly. and, and remember it. And, yeah, kind of remember what you just spent like $500 on, yeah. you know? Yes. <laughs> and maybe not fall down. Like, there's so many that's, options. That's embarrassing. So yeah. you guys love um, uh, the food and beverage industry so much that your podcast is called F&B Radio. F&B Radio. Although F&B, for those listeners just hearing it, might think that was the letter F for food and ampersand and the letter B for beverage. But in fact, in their case, because they're funny Southerners, it is spelled E-F-F. 
I-N-B. So you make of that what you will. It's a visual pun that I didn't think that through. People are always like, <laughs> that's on us. But I like, I'm, I'm committed to this visual pun, which is, you know, like, instead of saying fucking, oh, can you say that on your show? You can. Wow. Okay. Okay. Instead of saying fucking, you can say effing like my mom would do. And it's. Yeah. Or, it's, or I would do. Yeah. 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 People are You're effing best friends now. I, we're effing best friends for life. Oh my gosh. I think that's your t-shirt. That's your, that's what people should leave your show with. In any case. So you do this really great (laughs) show where you've had the best of Charleston and then you've had visitors like I got to be on the show, which is really fun. What inspired you to do the pod? Chemistry, really. I mean, if we get down to it, Lindsay, you tell them the story. Oh, well, so I guess after just years of of being in the industry, we were kind of just talking shop like people do after work um, over a bottle of rosé and... My boyfriend, who does nothing with, with the industry, was like, he's just fascinated by the world because he's not in it. And he was like, he listens to a lot of podcasts. And he thought, you know, someone would listen to that. And I was like, oh, yeah, I don't know. And, and we just kind of put some money into it. Like, just it was not that expensive to get some of the equipment. And we got it off the ground. And I had worked in studios before. So there was a little bit of it was easy for me to do. Um, and I've talked before. Nikki. So. <laughs> Real chatty. Well, and when me and Nikki met, it was like this instant sort of, exactly, chemistry that we we were like, wow, like we get each other's jokes. We have this really similar sense of humor. Um, we're both from, from the Carolinas. And our other co-host who isn't here, but Phil, it was, it was just kind of easy and it, it felt really fun. And, and we were just like, let's just try it. And we were shocked um, at how many people were like, oh my God, yes, something that's like, not disparaging about the industry, but maybe yes. an inside look that's like we can talk like we would talk without gossiping or shit talking, just being like about what's going on in, in our world. And so it's it's been really well received in Charleston. But And so what do you feel like the most in top, important topics that you have covered have been? Or important really isn't your meter. I mean, yeah, you I know. Mean, <laughs> tackling the issues that don't matter at all is what we joke about. That's our, that's our mission statement, essentially, yeah. is tackling the issues that don't matter at all. But really, it's, it's showing a different light. It's either people are thinking that the industry is this spig and span, like rock star mentality, or it's people being like, this is what your bartender thinks of you. Um, so we're in between. So I think it's the stories. People have great stories. Stories and oh, we have some laughs. We I laughed and laughed. We <laughs> have fun. Don't we? we have fun. No. And and so who's your who's thing. your favorite storyteller? Oh my god! And you're in the south, so it's some really good storytellers. Oh my god, there's some really good storytellers. There's so many great storytellers, but I gotta say, I got a shout out for for my guy Ted over at Ted's Butcher Blog. He's, he's wonderful. He's from New Jersey. Yeah, but he was captivating, telling us about how he grew up in his family's restaurant that was called what was it like. Oh, it was something Starlight Lounge. Like yes, like it his was father's name Starlight Lounge, but it was none of they were devoid of starlight. <laughs> you know? and, um, but he was really captivating. But there's so there's no there's no mark. Like everybody I, I has, love Bob Cook. Bob oh. Cook tells a great great story. And who's Bob Cook? Bob, he's the former chef of Cypress and artisan meat share, oh. uh, which recently closed. But he just took over Edmund's Oast um, yes. in Charleston. He's just like I think he's a Michigander. But yeah. he he's Michigan. just got. A, I made that up. Is that or what the Michigas? The Michigas. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> um, but everybody comes on there and and feels like this this need to maybe try to be funny. And the best things that ever happen are when they finally just stop maybe trying to make jokes and just start telling things because everyone's life is funny in in so many ways. Like they have a, a weird story that either leads up to or is somehow loosely, and I mean really loosely related to food and beverage, but, <laughs> but we, we like to get to know them. Yeah. 
I like to say my favorite question to ask isn't like, what do you like to drink or what do you like to make? It's more like, what happened? How'd you get here? What happened to you? Why'd you want to do that? I told you what happened to me. Um, Yeah. So just maybe like focusing on the storytelling of the people behind it because they tend to be pretty fascinating uh, individuals. Takes a special kind. So we asked Pietro, what's your story? How did you get here? Story. Oh my what gosh. happened to you? Yeah, what so happened many bad to you? Decisions. No, no. <laughs> uh, no, so basically, I'm Italian. I was born in uh, Italy, and I moved to the United States when I was four. But I grew up in London for most of my life. And then while I was in London, I got really into cooking. And I worked at a Michelin star restaurant in London, and then I decided to go to the Culinary Institute of America. Oh. So... Went to the Culinary Institute of America, graduated bachelor's, and then my first job was at 11 Madison Park. Wow. Yeah. What a great well, first job. Yeah. <laughs> why, are, why are you so dreamy you right did, now? You did real good with your first job. Mine was at uh, the Flying Saucer, I think. <laughs> okay, so um, that is, and I bet we could dig down deeper and farther, but we'll leave it at that. Mm. That great first job. Yeah, that's a great first um, job. We're going to take a real commercial break, and hey. when we come back... It will still be Dana Cowan, your host on Speaking Broadly, and Nikki, Lindsay, and Pietro. Yeah. I'm Michael Harlan Turkel, host of The Food Scene and Modernist Breadcrumbs on Heritage Radio Network. I'm here at Bob's Red Mill to find out from Bob himself why his products taste so good. So what's the secret, Bob? To make the best whole grain flour, we look back in time. No modern technology can match the old world engineering of a stone mill. Wow. Bob's Red Mill is using stone mills? How old are we talking here? Well, the stone mills are practically as old as mankind, and no matter what civilization they uncover, they find two stones that people were rubbing together to make uh, something they could eat, whole wheat flour. But the stones that we use are quarried near Paris, France, in La Ferte, and it's the same stone material from the same quarry that the uh, Romans used to make stone mills all over the Roman Empire, of which you can testify by looking at at uh, Pompeii. It's a quartz material. It has a uniqueness about it. It's very hard. It has a certain porosity, and they put the stones together in a unit of 20 pieces and band it so that they use only the best and, and sharpest parts. It's an ingenious thing, but very old. I mean, thousands of years old. So it's, uh, it's pretty cool. Those sound like some really special stones. How do they work? Stones turning either the top or the bottom stone, turning at 100 to 125 revolutions per minute, produce a lovely three, four, up to 500 pounds. Depends on the, how, how soft the grain is. The bottom stone is the bedstone, and it's also called the nether stone in the Bible. But it also now turns for some configurations. Would you say that using stone mills lead to healthier grains? I know they do. I can watch it. I showed you. (laughs) You know it as well as I do. Uh, The grain goes in the top, goes through the stones, and it comes out. We don't lose anything, and we don't add anything. Thanks for sharing the story of how Bob's Red Mill is using ancient technology to keep their products on the cutting edge. Michael, we think that we can make a difference by sticking by the traditional way of stone milling whole grain, and that's what we're doing. You can learn more at bobsredmill.com slash podcast.
Welcome back. This is Dana Cowan, and you are listening to Speaking Broadly with some very funny sisters. Um, not in real life, but uh, the hosts of a radio show called F&B Radio, and it's Lindsay Collins and Nikki Fairman, and we have Pietro... <laughs> Say it again. It's Kalina. Nailed it. Yes. Well, remembering this Peter Hill made it much easier for me. <laughs> <laughs> um, so there have been there's been a lot of conversation about how tough this industry is, and um, Lindsay, you have kids. Yeah. And. I have a tabby cat. You have a cat. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I have no idea of your uh, child status. Uh, two French bulldogs. Okay. Very nice. So we have some animal lovers here. But um, one of the challenges for women in this business is, you know, to try to find some sense of balance. What do you think? Do you think that's overblown? Do you think that it's a, a real um, problem for you? How have you resolved that? I'm working on resolving it all the time, but I, I think it's definitely a real problem. And I don't know if it's it's necessarily the industry's fault. It's kind of it's it's sort of um, just something that happens because of the hours. Like it, we were just talking um, with another chef in town, and he was saying the same thing. And he's a man; he has problems, you know, getting home at two and then waking up with his kid that gets up so early because that's what they do. Um, so it's just I think most people are finding the balance, and I know I have been. Um, really successful in getting a set schedule because that's something that most restaurant people don't get. It's just such a dynamic team and it, it, it needs to be something that's so fluid that you can't really say like, oh, I don't work Wednesdays or whatever it might be. Um, but that's been helpful. And I think more people are looking towards that as something that they will be open to that they might not have been open to before. Because like, for instance, Fig is closed on Sunday. So now I can have a Monday, Tuesday and have three full days to function and get back to normal and have a life and be with my children. And then everything, that's just kind of our normal. Whereas I feel like um, it was a lot harder and I took time off when they were first born. Because obviously, if you're at home with them or if you're nursing or if you don't have anyone that you feel comfortable leaving them with when they're very young, uh, it gets challenging. Right. Um, And, (coughs) well, we're at the Nomad and we were talking about nomadicism. Um, and so, Nikki, you've traveled some um, and worked some out of the country, in the country. And um, what was it like going to Belgium and what inspired you to take that journey? Honestly, I, I grew up a little bit nomadically because my father is um, or was currently retired a captain in the Navy. Wow. So I had a home with my mom. My parents weren't together, but... So I grew up in North Carolina, I would say, but I moved, I was lucky enough to move to Hawaii and D.C. and Belgium and these other places um, to be with my father. And after being a pastry chef for a number of years, which I truly loved, but the thing with a pastry chef is that I'm a yes person and pastry chefs should be no people <laughs> because anytime is that like being a, get, a, a cat or a dog person? Wait, why should a pastry chef be a no person? Well, I, I think that the... Mo- I th- I say that because I think some of the pastry chefs that I truly respect I'm good, um, are people that are able to say, this is possible and this isn't possible. Whereas I'm one of the students, I'm like, everything's possible. 
I was like, I can do this every day. I can work from 7 a.m. to 2 o'clock in the morning. I can do it all. Um, and I did that and threw my life into it and loved it and gave it all I had. And then one day I woke up and I didn't feel so good. And I just decided that I gave a long notice and I moved to Belgium. And I worked in a chocolate shop and I traveled to breweries and drank beer. And I maybe went on a small tour with like a metal band for a second. Like you never know what's going to happen. So, um, okay, and then we, we do have to pause there. Yeah. Um, you went on a tour with a metal maybe band. I hung for out, a maybe second. I hung out in Prague and a couple other places. Uh, you may have heard of them. You've never heard of them. It's a very <laughs> small, no one metal band. Um, so, but, uh, but no, that was just my choice. And then that's when I switched. I had the feeling after working in kitchens since I was 15 and studying pastry in school, but still like line cook kitchens always making the transition. It happened in Belgium when I realized that I connected when they put me in front, like handing out chocolates to people and working my wretched French. Um, I realized that I loved humans and I wanted to interact with them. And that's when I switched to front of the house. That's when I moved into bartending, which I think is a very precise craft that is also very fulfilling and satisfying. Um, yeah. And then I moved back to Charleston and with a, with a new lease on life and it's been wonderful. And what did you take from that traveling time? Like what was it, aside from that larger revelation that actually you'd like to be at with the people, mm-hmm. um, were there other things that traveling brought to you that were unexpected? Absolutely. I mean, when you travel, you realize, and especially in restaurants, as all of us understand, or in food service, we create these tiny little ecospheres where we live and we see the same people every day. And we, you, you just, you go to the same bar every night, you wake up the same morning you get a bagel, you go to work. And then you start this round traveling shook me up. It made me uncomfortable. I traveled alone, uh, for a lot of my time, like when I was scooting around, um, you learn to be more aware, you learn to be more thankful and you learn to be more frugal and you learn to be, um, I don't know, a little bit more smitten with individual moments. And I think that I had lost that after being just broken down, you know, constantly. Uh, and then, yeah, so I think travel does that. And then I came back and now I just smoosh in people's faces and boop and noses. And I feel good about it. Yeah. And that's a beautiful expression of why travel is uh, so important. Thanks, Tina. Um, and Lindsay, I of course want to know some behind. I know that you said that your show doesn't ever gossip. <laughs> well, um, not well, ever. It gossips a little. <laughs> but um, having worked at Noma per se French Laundry, like what can you tell me from behind the scenes? You know, that's something that I would never know as a customer, even knowing um, Thomas Keller and Renee Redzepi a little bit. Like, what can you tell me from you know having the feet on the ground behind the scenes? I, I think that the People um, assume that that place, is, it's intimidating to just go there as a diner to those kind of restaurants, I think. And I think they assume that it's maybe that way to work there. And it's definitely stressful. Um, but I was amazed when I got to Per Se, because that was kind of my first free Michelin star job. And I was, I was shocked at what a, what a relaxed family. They're just real people, too. Like, I think there's all this, like, they're amazing and they're high-functioning and they do things that nobody else can ever do. And it's really just that they're all kind of committed to the same vision. And the vision is really, really lofty. But that they're just like you and me. I thought I would never fit in in a place like that. And I was I was surprised at how much they... I've never felt a, a sense of teamwork like that are that exist in those restaurants. Because Renee does run his restaurants uh, almost exactly the same. It was a really easy transition to go to Noma That's because interesting. they let people they they inc- they only speak English um, in the kitchen. You in have fact, to speak there's English. so many languages. Yeah, among um, the 
and, stages. And it's the exact same. It's a lot of call and response. I'm sure it's the same at 11 Madison. Um, but that kind of culture was, it was a really kind of plug and play. Like I felt completely at home there because he also took those philosophies and made them his from his time at the laundry. And um, in what way are they different? If indeed they're similar in so many ways. Uh, Noma to me was much more renegade where Thomas is a little more um, restricted in the way that he puts things out there and, and what's possible in the restaurants and things that they just would never do. Like the cooks run the food. And that's something that like that was really unique to his restaurant because they were just like these Danish guys who were like, get this shit out of here, like get it out of here. <laughs> and they just went out and, and Renee is just fine with that, you know, and he's really open minded about about fun things like weed where you're like, <laughs> fell. I remember the Frankies uh, were coming and we I was one of the days that I was working and he was like, ah, sent one of the, the kitchen staff to Christiania where to buy two joints and we had them sitting in the flower arrangements. <laughs> and that was like, they were invited to enjoy this and then come back into, so there's just a European version, I think, there, where it's like, oh, they're a lot more open-minded to that kind of now, stuff. How did you get to, per se? I just, it was the first job I could get in New York. And I had applied everywhere. Okay, you guys are crazy with this first job syndrome. <laughs> Who even are you? <laughs> I think it's because of the restaurants, though. I think they... um they are open-minded about, they'd rather have somebody that has zero experience that they can kind of make their own. Whereas other people are like, where have you been so that we can see what you're capable of? Mm-hmm. They can just see you as like a blank slate. And that was definitely what I was. They were just like, they liked my energy and they liked um, the fact that I knew so little. And they they were able to to kind of make me what they wanted. They were able to brainwash me. I was able to drink all the Kool-Aid and, <laughs> and be, become a part of the team more easily than someone who has bad habits that they have to break. Right. Um, but it was, it was my, I was scared and I had a really scary interview with Paolo Novello, who's an amazing, amazing human. Um, and Jonathan Benno was the chef at the time and I didn't do so well the first several months I struggled. (laughs) (laughs) And just like, and the last thing, like, how do you define that? Like, what does it mean to not do so well? Um, well, like I came in and he was like, if you break one more dish, you're fired, have a good service. Oh. And I was like, okay. And I never broke anything else for, for long enough that they let me off probation. You know, it was like. <laughs> Did you see that? Um, I think it was, it's at Alinea. Uh, Grant Eckett's had a, a server who hadn't broken anything in some extraordinary amount of time. <laughs> and he actually got a plaque. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. hell yeah. I love it. Though, I think that's amazing. When I left, they, they gave me a shadow box of a bunch of broken china that was really sweet. And everybody signed it and then they smashed it. <laughs> and it was, I was just, you know. Is that true? Yeah. True story. Okay. They give um, everyone a piece of the the restaurant it's usually either something from the restaurant and oh, when they leave it's oh, that's beautiful yeah they're thoughtful Pietro <laughs> what about you so does that resonate with you what she's saying 100%. about 100% I think when you're going against like all these like top tier restaurants it's all about culture and philosophy yes. and behind every single one of these restaurants there's a leader that sets the pace so you have Thomas Keller Nate Zeppi with us you have Daniel Hume and Will Gadara um, and it's really funny, like in the beginning, it is very, very nerve wracking and you don't think you can do it because at the end of the day, restaurant work is all about stamina. Mm-hmm. It's about being consistent from the moment you get in there until you leave at you know two o'clock in the morning, you clock out, you do your paperwork. Um, but having these type of people that set the pace, all your job is, is to not let them down. My whole career is just not letting him down. Just, that's, just, that's all it is. You yeah. know, I, I'm the bar manager that nobody can tell because I've somehow miraculously kept up with Will Gadara and Daniel Hu, and amazing. that's why I'm here today. <laughs> Mantra is don't blow it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, but uh, at the end, I also think like you're 
product of your environment. So as you start up in your career and you're younger, you really look up to a lot of people and you see how people act, how they react, how they kind of mentor each other. But then when you get to a point in your career, you kind of look ahead of you and the team starts dwindling and you look behind you and it starts expanding. And you're like, oh my gosh, now I'm supposed to be this person Mm. who sets the pace. I'm supposed to be this person who's mentoring people. And it's a beautiful realization. Um, And that's when you get to a point in your career where it's really fun. That That is a perfect segue for um, something that I do on each show of Speaking Broadly, which is to pay it forward and to nominate a woman in the food and beverage industry for the uh, Speaking Broadly Hall of Dames. And since there are three of you, um, each of you can suggest one for the Hall of Dames. Oh, um, I would like to suggest Haley uh, Collins Feldman, who is my darling sister and just opened a restaurant in Venice. And it's called Shaytex, and she's Venice, California. Yeah, Venice, Italy. Venice, yeah, Venice Beach, California. Fantastic. And it's it's her first project um, as a restaurant, and it's just it's amazing to see her like go for it with her family. It's her husband and her that own it, and they have a new baby, and they've worked in restaurants. His family has some um, some background in that as well. A beautiful restaurant in Sonoma, but it's their first project together, and it's so cool to see them uh, make it their own and and to go for something that is. So overwhelming. I've worked in this industry for so long and never done it. <laughs> never tried to open my own place. So it's huge. Tell to us watch. the name again. Haley Collins Feldman. That's her name. But the oh, Shay Tex. Shay Tex on Main Street in Venice. And the food? Uh, it's bistro. As long as we're like, going to give super, it a shout out. Yeah, it's super, super like Americana French bistro. Okay. Really, really abbreviated wine list and just really craveable bistro food. Great. Yeah. Nikki. I'd like to nominate a wonderful woman who, Dana, you know very well, I'm sure. Um, Someone who's just recently touched my heart and really been doing a lot for the food and beverage industry and for women is Randy Weinstein. Can I give her a shout out for being not only an incredible mother, a great person that's passionate about the Charleston community, but someone who's been very supportive and um, for everything that I've done, I think so much of her and everything she's doing with Fab. And explain um, what Fab is? Yes, Fab is amazing. It can be taken so many ways. Food and beverage, females in business. Um, it's basically a very strong um, sort of... Uh, conference for women that are in the food and beverage industry and it is what brought us together Dana exactly um, so, it's so appropriate it's wildly appropriate <laughs> um, but I'd like to shout out to Randy she is exuberant and creative and awesome and I would nominate her for more more than other dames awesome um it's quite difficult for me because I actually have a lot of friends who are women. They're all absolutely amazing. Yeah. <laughs> you can only pick one. Yeah. Uh, My name's Nikki Fairman. <laughs> Nikki Fairman. Um, I would have to say uh, Lacey Hawkins. I'm not sure if you know who that is. So Lacey Hawkins is a, was a bartender in Portland. She came over here to New York. Uh, she's a speed rack winner. Uh, Love speed rack. Huge, huge uh, activist and proactive in feminist rights, uh, LGBT rights. Uh, she is just absolutely fantastic. She now works for Pernod Ricard, and she's just so vocal on social media. She's very, very vocal on just anything to do with just uh, like pro women, like like sentiment. And she's very, very inspiring. And her words when she writes it are just very, very uplifting. That gives me someone to look up and look into. Thank you all for joining me on Speaking Broadly. Thank you, Uh, Dana. Thank you to my my 
engineer of the moment and David Tadashore, my the engineer of my heart. <laughs> and we look forward to having you back next week. Have a great week. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.